So with that being said, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know what will happen first. All of my boxes will be unpacked or we'll get through Hebrews chapter 11. <laughs> either way, it may be the Lord returning before either one of those happen. And I would be okay with that. I'll be honest with you. I would be okay with that. But Hebrews chapter 11, as we have worked through this faith journey, we come to verse 20, verse 21, and verse 22. And as I was reading those verses, what seemed to really capture my attention, the theme that continued to run there was somehow blessing, the blessing of fathers to their children, and specifically the blessing that was given by Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And of course, we know when the Old Testament and the Jewish culture in particular, the blessing was a major thing. We, we can think about to the, story, to the stories, and we know that that meant it seemed everything to the, to the child that was blessed, that they were able to continue on in, in God's work and in God's blessing. And I want you to see, as we look at verse 20, 21, and 22, there are distinct blessings, I think, that you find here. In verse 20, it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, I understand when I read through those three verses that each one represents a definite, distinct blessing that this father was giving to his children was passing on. It was a distinct moment. As I said, you know and I know that these were so significant, these blessings. We can only hearken back to the story of Esau and Jacob to really grasp the significance. And we know that Isaac or Jacob and Esau, Esau is out hunting the man's man, Jacob, the smoothie I'll call him. We'll talk about that at some other point in life. But no, no hair on his skin, right? Am I being biblical? Some of you looked at me strange tonight. No hair, just kind of a smoothie. It had to have that each one represented their own interest, and each one saw how the blessing of God impacted their lives. We saw them jockeying for position, if you will, especially Jacob, as he steals the blessing of his brother. It was so significant, the blessing, to be able to pass it on. And here you see these blessings, these specific blessings mentioned. But I want you to see that in each case, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, I think in each case you see something specific about the blessing, about what they say to their children. And that's what I want to give you tonight, really. I want to give you three statements that me as a, as a dad, as a parent, three statements that I hope I can tell my children one day. When I get, I hope I can tell them now, but I'm talking about one day when the Lord is getting ready to call me home. If he has not returned and my back boxes are still unpacked, uh, not packed, packed, whatever, one of these days, 
If I'm still living, these are the three statements that I hope I can tell my children based on verses 20 through 22. Verse 20, for example, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. What was the specific purpose of Isaac's blessing? And what here in the Hebrews passage does it seem to emphasize? For me, it emphasizes God's promise. So this is the first statement I would give you. That I would look at my child, and I hope you would be able to look at your children one day, and you could say, remember God's promise for your life. Remember God's promise for your life. Isaac looks at Esau and Jacob, and he brings blessing into them, blesses their life. And basically, this blessing is, remember God's promise. Now, you could say this theme runs through the whole chapter, all of these blessings. But basically, what it is, is remember what God said to Abraham and how it continues through the family, that God is going to keep his promise. Now, I do know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, the nation of Israel, that God promised blessing to to them that is unique, one of a kind, can't be transferred necessarily over to our families or to the United States of America or anything else. It was a one, look, there is only one Israel. Can we say that? There's only one Israel. And there is uniqueness that is there. I understand that. But I want to say to you also that there are promises that God makes universally to all of us and promises that I hope that I will be able to communicate to my children and that they will be able to embrace in their lives. Now, look, you can do that and you don't have to be perfect in order to communicate it into their lives. I would say to you, of all of these that we see in Hebrews 11, especially of the patriarchs, Isaac might be one of those weaker in faith than, say, Jacob, weaker in faith, certainly than Joseph. Go back to Genesis. A few uh, months ago, I preached a sermon series on the patriarchs. Search committee, you remember those? You listen a few times to those, maybe. It didn't have much impact upon you, but you listened to it, I think. If you look in the book of Genesis, 12 chapters are devoted to Abraham, basically, roughly. 12 chapters uh, to Jacob, 12 chapters to Joseph. Isaac, about two, two and a half chapters devoted to his life. The others, you see more of their lifestyle. You see more of their rest. You see more. All of them are imperfect. I understand that. All of them are. But Isaac in particular, you don't see much of his strength. You see most of his weaknesses displayed to us in Scripture. He was imperfect. Even, Even when it came down to the blessing, even when it came down to the blessing, You say, well, Jacob was the one that deceived Esau and deceived his dad. But but Isaac had not really helped the situation out. Isaac had, of course, shown favoritism to Esau. And even as Isaac was about to die, or thought he was about to die, what was he concerned about? 
food, eating, his stomach. Very spiritually minded guy, right? He looks at Esau and he says to him, go kill me some game and bring it. I want you to fix me a stew, if you will, and that way I can eat and I can die. It says a lot about Isaac. He's still messing up, even at the end. And notice he's going to bless Esau. But doesn't he know that Jacob is the one to be blessed? Doesn't he? Has God not already said, even when these children were in the womb, God had said that the older will serve the younger. And yet Isaac, even in his final days, it seems, rejects God's will or express purpose, express will for his children. Only until later will Isaac come to the recognition of God's intent and God's will. But at least he does. And at least he comes and he reminds them of the promise. So I can say to you that even imperfect people can bring blessing into their children's lives. I'm pretty happy about that one. I'm thankful that even through our mess-ups, we can communicate truth. And something like this, a statement that is, remember that God's, God's promises for your life. Because in the end, even though Isaac seems to have rejected some of those plans and purposes and all of that, in the end, what he is saying is remember that God's going to continue to build the family and build the nation. It's what he's going to continue to do. And, and God's already doing it in some way. I mean, Abraham had one, Isaac. Isaac had two. Of course, Jacob being the promised child, being the at least the child of blessing, if you will. So here he's already multiplied it in some sense, right? So you say, well, he's got to do more than that if he's going to have a big nation, a multitude. But God is continuing to work progressively. And God is going to fulfill his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and ultimately to Jacob. God's going to keep his promises. As we read in those initial pages of our scripture, as we read through it, we see God keeping his promise. In the New Testament, God kept his promise. He built a nation and he built a family. I say to you that Isaac... Wanted his children to know that as he was dying. I hope and pray that as God gets ready to call me home, that I'll still be able to say, God keeps his promises. And remember that in your life. For example, let me tell you some of these universal, just for example. God says that when he saves a person, he saves a person. You're not saved one day and unsaved the next day. You don't have to worry about that. You can know in your life that God will keep his promise to you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can count on it. You can bank on it. That's the promise of God for you. Remember God's promises in your life. Remember that if you have trusted and surrendered your life to him, you're saved. Don't let doubt, don't let anxiety, don't let anything else try to pull you away from your relationship. You are His. Read Romans 8. 
You're his. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Remember that promise. I, I want to speak those kinds of things into my children. Don't you? To your grandchildren. Remember God's promises. And listen, if God promised it, just as, just as these patriarchs saw in their lives, if God promised it, he will fulfill it. He will do what he said he would do. Trust him. So in that verse 20, I see that Isaac, in some way, in that blessing, is somehow bound in this statement, remember God's promise for your life. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Now, I went back and looked at Genesis 48 which basically has Jacob blessing uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. He blesses the two. And as you remember, that his hands kind of get crossways or so, and he actually blesses the younger with his right, and the, uh, the younger with his right, the older with his left. Remember this story? He remembers it. And when Joseph is about to protest, then Jacob continues on and blesses them and gives, in a sense, Joseph himself a double blessing because both of his sons here receive the blessing from Jacob. Now, what does verse 21 say? Look at the specifics of this. Because it says, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, as we said, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. The second statement that I get from this that I want to communicate to my children is this. Remember God's touch upon your life. Remember God's touch upon your life. You remember his promises. I think that's what Isaac really is saying. But this verse in Hebrews right here, in Hebrews eleven twenty one. I think it reminds me of the touch of God. And you say, how in the world do you get that? How do you get that out of verse 21? And I could tell you just because I do. And you'd love that answer, wouldn't you? No, hopefully you would insist that there be something else to this. Because verse 21, it says, leaning on top of his staff. He worshiped leaning on top of his staff. Well, I mean, come on. He's an older Gentlemen, he, he's facing death, he's weak, that's the reason he's leaning on the staff. Well, that may be part of it. But maybe the age has just aggravated an, an injury he had once upon a time. You remember an injury he had once upon a time? Man, Jacob. He was something, wasn't he? He's one of those sons you just kind of pray... The deacon has to raise. I mean, Jacob, come on. How low can you get when you deceive your own father? Jacob, I mean, his name says it all. Heal. It's literally what it means. Heal or trickster. The one who grasps on the grabber, if you will. And oh, how that name follows him around. That's who he is. 
He's the one that seems to be just grasping for the possessions and for the things of others and tricking people and deceiving people. That's Jacob. Until he reaps what he sows. And he finally sees his old Uncle Laban. And I'd say what goes around comes around. As he is deceived. And he marries Leah. And then after seven more years, 14 total, he is able to finally marry Rachel. That's Jacob. Until one night, when he wrestles with God. Literally, wrestles with God. It is a great passage. One of these days, I'm going to preach it. Do you know how many sermon series I want to preach here in this place? I mean, I got so many, I'm like, oh. It's awesome. To see him wrestling and see God just to see that. And you remember after the night of wrestling. How God leaves him. Because when you wrestle with God you will never be the same. And in that morning. He has a hip joint. The muscle around the hip joint. Is injured by God. God touches him so that I think he'll always remember that experience he had with God. And you know, when you wrestle with God and you get into that place, God can touch you. And sometimes it, it could be an injury in which God would remind you of his presence, of his presence in your life. I, I remember just a few weeks, I guess months ago now, preaching this and just envisioning that next morning as he went back toward the camp as he was limping. I mean, can you imagine when he got to the camp and what they must have thought? Here he was, I mean, just um, disheveled. I mean, beaten up. I mean, beaten up. Here he was just after a tussle in the night and then he is limping. They've got to be saying, Jacob, what happened to you? I mean, did somebody, somebody ambushed you out there, obviously got to be some of those some of those philistines around here midianite somebody and they worked you over good buddy man jacob you look like you you look like you lost the battle you were on the wrong end of that fight can you see jacob in a sense no this is a sign of victory i've been touched by god i've been touched by god and he walked like that the rest of his life the scripture says while he's aged, he's dying, it says here that he's leaning on top of his staff. And I think it's partly because of the touch of God in his life. What he had experienced. And I believe that the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, placed this into our text. To give us this specific, distinct idea. Of what accompanied the blessing. He blessed them. And as he's leaning there and they're looking at him. It's almost as if the statement is made. Don't forget. The touch of God in your life. Remember. The touch. Of God. And I would say that. I would love for my kids to know that as they grow up. Is to know that God can touch their lives. In a special. Powerful way. And that they can enjoy a relationship. 
they can enjoy a fellowship like no other through Him. Remember the touch of God. And finally, as I look at Joseph, verse 22 here, it says, By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. What instructions? What did Joseph say to the children of Israel as he was getting ready to die? Take my bones with you. Don't leave me here in Egypt. I think it is much more a symbolic thing than anything else because Joseph didn't need his bones anymore. But it was a significant moment to talk about taking the bones back. Where? To Israel, to that land, to the place God promised. And somehow this leads me, I think, to the third statement that I'd like to make to my children one day, and that's this. Remember God's purpose for your life. Remember God's purpose for your life. The land was so synonymous with purpose and God's presence. The land itself. Look, today, people are still fighting over land because of the significance and the value for them, even spiritually. He said, you take it, you take my bones back. It was almost like a reminder that God did not call you to live in Egypt and he did not call me to live in Egypt. Our purpose, our purpose is found in God, not in Egypt. Take my bones back. Joseph spent all of his adult life in Egypt. All of his adult life in Egypt. It had been about 200 years since God first spoke to Abraham and made these great promises to him about a nation, of course, land, about 200 years. And yet, Joseph still believed in the plan and the purpose of God for the nation of Israel. I love what John MacArthur said. I wrote it down here. John MacArthur said, he said that Joseph could not inherit the land, but the land could inherit him. So he said, take my bones back because I want people to know that my life and my purpose is not just identified with Egypt, but it is identified with the God of Israel. And there are days when it seems like we live more in Egypt than we do Israel, spiritually speaking. There are days when it seems like all of the possessions of the land are abundant. We could have what we wanted, what we, what we so desired, we could just have it. And yet that's not our purpose. Our purpose is not caught up in Egyptian living. Our purpose is caught up in the will and the mystery of God. And I'd like for my children, I know some of you would too, right? That they would know in the days to come that this land is not their home. This land, it's not where they're going to find 
true purpose and fulfillment for their lives. They were not made just for the temporal purposes of life. They have been made for an eternal purpose. And there is an eternity. That when you travel through this Egypt, which is not our homeland, there is a Canaan land that God has prepared for each and every one. How is that accomplished? How can you make these statements? Only through faith. Only through trust. That's the only way. It's faith and trust. You got to believe God's promise for your life. You, you got to know that God's touch is upon your life. You've got to know that God's purpose, He has one for your life. I say to you, I want to do that one day. When God is about to call me home, I hope I can have enough faith and trust to be, to, to be able to declare those statements. But I hope I don't wait till then. Through my imperfection, but through God's grace, I pray that they would see the reality of those statements every day. And I would challenge you to live your life in such a way. Some of you say, well, I'm not perfect. I'm not either. None of us are. None of the patriarchs, don't let that be an excuse from stopping you, from somehow preventing you from living the way God wants you to live and to declare into your children's lives. Some of you say, do you know how long it's been since children have been in my house? Well, you know what? We got a lot of children around here. I got four you can have any time you want. Find children. Find the next generation. And declare it into their lives. Because the next generation needs to know God's promises for their lives. The next generation needs to know God's touch upon their lives. The next generation needs to know God's purpose for their lives. Let's speak it clearly and declare it boldly.